And uh, yeah, thanks everyone for coming out here today on such a, a nice morning, finally. Um, starting to look like spring, just in time for Buddha's birthday, I guess. Um, so thank you for choosing uh, to come to practice with us um, and to celebrate with us as well. Uh, it's my first, uh, my first Buddha's birthday celebration. Um, although um, I'm not going to really be speaking about that, though, though indirectly, um, I guess the my, my talk today has a couple of themes, but I think the the most central one is about the the first um, the first grave precept in Zen, which is not killing or alternatively cultivating life, and. Uh, that's kind of the central theme, though I have a couple other things that will connect as well. Uh, and I suppose celebrating uh, a birth, in a way, um, is a form of cultivating life. Um, so it connects to some extent. But the main thing that I... The, the, the main... Uh, subject of my talk actually involves um, flying squirrels um, who are celebrating and practicing with us right somewhere behind that wall, um, in that wall, I believe. That's probably where they are at the moment. Uh, they're nocturnal, so they're probably in there sleeping. Um, and yeah, it's been an ongoing saga, so as probably most of you know, I live downstairs and I've been living there since um, August, and I think it was in um, November, approximately, that I first began to hear some, some critter noises um, in the wall, and anyways, this this talk will kind of be about how my practice, how this, how these squirrels have interacted with my practice over quite a long saga of them being in there, um, which hopefully is coming to a close, um, but who knows. Um, and, yeah, so I guess the first thing that I wanted to talk about, I guess b b before I really get to the squirrels and how I've interacted with them, um, or how they've affected my practice, is to talk a little bit about the precept um, and my, my understanding of it as a means to kind of have this in the back of our minds as I talk about my, my saga with these, these uh, flying squirrels. And I think the easiest part of the precept, or at least perhaps the easiest part to understand, although there's all sorts of complications, some of which I'll get to is the sort of negative version of the precept, which is not killing. Um, I think most of us have a sense of what that means. Of course, sometimes it's very difficult not to kill. Um, reading a book about the precepts now, um, and the author talks about how in their little garden um, that they have for providing food for the monastery, uh, just by gardening, there's, you know, and, and, and cultivating food um, for the, the monks and for the community. Um, they inevitably kill insects. Um, they inevitably 
um, destroy the homes of certain animals that might be dwelling in the area. And so even just being um, a human and having to take care of yourself, even cultivating a vegetarian diet, uh, you inevitably uh, take life. And so I think that's one complication with that that I'll get to eventually because um, just being a human uh, already complicates, already makes it very difficult, if not impossible, to, to not kill all the time, which is generally how um, the precepts are discussed, uh, not so much as kind of commandments that um, shall not be broken, but things to be mindful of when you inevitably um, do break them. So there's some complications with that, but there's there's kind of more complications, I think, with the idea of what it means to cultivate life. Um, I guess maybe in the most basic sense, this could mean something like um, making conditions as, as good as possible for life around you. Um, so maybe putting the garden somewhere where you think there's less animals or um, doing things that will not obstruct but I think this is really one of the most, uh, to me, philosophically profound precepts, parts of the precepts. Um, as someone that studies literature and philosophy for a living, um, the idea of cultivating life um, resonates with a lot of things that I've studied. And I can't help but think of... Um, certain theories and a kind of French tradition with a couple of philosophers that really look at cultivating life as um, allowing things to express themselves and allowing things to be kind of not getting in things way and not getting in the way of your own life that expresses itself. Um, and in this line of thought, there's a lot of uh, identification of thought patterns and customs and habits and societal norms and so forth that sort of suppress uh, sort of suppress life and put it into a pattern. And in this, in this conception, life is that which can break a pattern and express itself freely as, as opposed to some sort of mechanical loop. And so cultivating life uh, for me is a, a very complex and and deep thing to to consider what that could mean of trying to identify and 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 let go of the things that sort of block us from living in a free way, uh, and that's one definition that I think um, oddly will tie into these squirrels, which I can um, get to after I've said a few things about the first precept. So, as I said, the uh, this all started in November. And it just started as a kind of coming from the wall in threes. Usually towards the evening, I didn't really hear it any other time. And for a while, I was convinced it was some sort of tree up against the zendo, and I kept forgetting to go out and look because it was just always in threes and always the same pace, and it seemed too regular to be an animal coming from kind of right over my bed, and I really didn't think much about it. Um, but then it kept continuing, and I went outside and looked and um, tried to make sure there wasn't anything. And kind of, I realized there wasn't really any like tree branches brushing up against the zendo. So I thought, okay, this is odd. Um, and then finally, one morning, 
uh, I heard um, something. I thought, you know, I thought maybe it's an animal. But one morning I heard this um, thumping through the um, through my ceiling. And it, and it kind of sounded like it was in all places at once, which I still can't quite figure out. It's very hard to locate the sound, I think, because of the aluminum plate under the floor and the insulation, and I don't know. Um, and I thought, okay, this is certainly an animal. And it was in there for maybe an hour or two, whatever was in it, a couple of them probably. And they left and they came back uh, occasionally over the course of a few days, not really every day. But at this point, I thought, okay, there must be something getting in. And I heard, I did hear some sort of scampering near the, the wall. So I thought, okay, there's probably a mouse there because it sounded very small. And some chipmunks or something are getting in, something heavier. So anyways, I, I went and talked to Tomato. Um, and we decided that we should probably call a pest control person. She's had quite a few problems. And she, you know, we talked about it and she had discussed things, the problems that she had had and um, the pest control person came and, and actually in this time I had set out some traps. I'd set out some, some, some live traps for the mice where I thought they were and in several different locations and just had no luck catching them. And so when the, uh, the pest control person, you know, said, oh, well, we can put poison, which is what Mado had said she just had to do because there was no other way to control it and it's very unsanitary and, um, you know, they can chew on wires and so forth. It was the last thing I really wanted to do, um, but I just really couldn't think of another way to deal with it. Um, and so, you know, I, I figured, I guess poisoning, you know, you start weighing these things, poisoning a couple mice versus potentially burning down the Zendo because they chew on wires um, or, or doing some sort of other permanent damage to the building. It's, um, it's a weird decision to make, but um, in talking with Mato about it, we decided that it was, uh, you know, it was one of these moments where, um, you know, the precepts realize themselves when you have to break them. Um, and that it's just kind of part of this inhabiting a space as a human. So it's just a bit of a rationalization, but, um, but anyways, we did that and we put up the poison in a couple spots. And after about a week, I found a mouse out back, um, that had died. And I thought, okay, well, I guess maybe, you know, this is the end of it. I, uh, I removed it and, and put it in the woods. Maybe someone was able to snack on it, though I hope the poison in the mouse didn't, anyways. Um, and, and said a prayer for it, um, and, you know, I don't know, maybe lit some incense and, and thought, okay, maybe this is the end, because I really hadn't heard the lar larger thumping. But the larger thumping continued, anyways, after time. And I, at this point, you know, and, and I had talked to, talked to the pest control guy when he came, and we both took a look around the outside and identified some spots where maybe the animals were getting in. And he said, you know, if these animals keep coming in, you know, you can maybe use some spray foam insulation to, to block up these holes. And for whatever reason, it was right around this time, because it must have been November, because Mado, you left at the beginning of December. And the weather got cold, and I, it was snowing, and I just felt like it wasn't going to work, you know, trying to deal with a ladder and, and patch up these holes in the snow. 
And it just became a, an, an, another episode in my long history of, of procrastinating, dealing with a problem. And so part of this talk is about also my procrastination, because I procrastinated quite a bit various times. And I was you know, thinking about, okay, what precept does this violate to not procrastinate? Um, and it ended up affecting quite a few of um, one, I think... Uh, I don't think I was honest because I believe I talked to Mado and she'd asked me if I heard the squirrels and I believe I lied and said, oh no, I haven't heard them, which to me was in my mind, okay, now I'm really going to go and do the foam spray and I'm really going to block these things out and I'll never be, be found out. Um, and so that was one effect of it. Uh, I started to become quite annoyed with the squirrels, so it caused a bit of ill will towards these animals, which is breaking uh, another precept. And I think it also risked um, damage to the zendo, which could be, in a way, if the zendo is a source of life for us. This practice um, could be violating that precept as well. And back to what I was saying about just letting your, your life live fully, I think it also uh, was a hindrance to the cultivation of my own life, um, I subscribe to a system of organization, which I think a few of you have heard me talk about. I'm kind of famous for being a champion of getting things done by David Allen, which I can't recommend enough if you feel like you're disorganized in any way. It was a book that really helped me. I'm pretty chronically disorganized and a procrastinator, and I think it's a good system I've been using for years. It's really helped, but one of his big points, you know, the catchphrase for his whole system He's made millions of dollars from now. But he's a meditator, too. He practices transcendental meditation, which is a bit different. But, um, but it, there is a very meditative approach to it that, you know, he says something like, your mind is a good place for having ideas, not for holding them. And part of his whole thing is getting everything out on the lists, because if you have all these ideas bouncing around of things you need to do, it actually blocks a lot of creativity and blocks a lot of your, your happiness. Uh, so I think just having this thing that I knew that I was going to have to do for so long really weighed on me in a lot of ways and, and kind of um, was, a yeah, as I said, a hindrance to the cultivation of my own life um, because I was also feeling a bit guilty that I had lied about it and it was something I knew I had to do. I knew it was potentially a risk to the building. And so anyways, one day that I had a break in the weather, I don't know if it was just still December, maybe into January now, um, I decided to go around and use this foam spray to fill in the holes and found a couple of spots that I was convinced uh, that's where they were getting in because I had seen some styrofoam, which is a sign with a chewing. And so I thought, okay, great. I finally settled this problem. We'll have to listen, see if there's anything more. And uh, for a few days, I didn't hear anything. And, but after a few days, back to completely normal activity. Procrastinated a couple other weeks to go out and look again to see if I could find anything else. And this time, I really I found a spot where it was very obvious I hadn't seen before that they were getting in. Okay, great. Fill in this. And maybe a week went by, maybe even two weeks, where I didn't hear anything. It was, yeah, this was quite a while after I found that one. Um... And then back to this thumping around. Um, and I, at this point, I was really getting frustrated. And, and it's a bit ridiculous at this point because Mado had expressed to me so many times that if you keep hearing it, we'll call someone. 
But at this point, I was just being stubborn um, and now wanting to, one, not admit, because I said, oh, no, I stopped hearing things, not admit to the lie that I had told. But I also wanted to, you know, as I see myself a bit as a caretaker of this building, living here, and um, and even though it had been offered that, that help could be provided, I was determined to um, take care of this problem. So I tried to block up the holes a couple other things. At some point, I think, after I went for a run... I cut up the t-shirt I was wearing, which was very old and beat up, covered in my sweat after a run, and stuffed it in the hole, convinced that my smell would drive them away, but it took them about a half a day to pull the t-shirt out. <laughs> so you can see all the kind of ridiculous things that uh, uh, this led to. And, uh, and, and it really did start to annoy me, um, even though it really, it really wasn't affecting me that much, it wasn't affecting my sleep. A couple of times, I mean, I wake up quite a bit in the night anyways, um, usually once a night to go to the bathroom. So I would hear them when I would wake up. And, but a couple, I mean, it just started to really drive me crazy and um, really, really frustrate me. And it was a bit of a sign. It really made me reflect on a couple of years ago, last time I was living in State College, we had some very noisy pipes um, from the heating in the winter, the pipe hammer, I think they call it, this knocking whenever the heat would kick on. And it started right as I began to meditate. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm just going to embrace this, you know, in my meditation, because I'm a meditator now and I can just embrace all these noises. And it's funny how that mindset worked and it never really bothered me. Um, on the other hand, it was actually probably quite a bit louder than the, than the squirrels ever were and, and more constant. Um, on the other hand, my roommate went completely crazy with this water hammer. Um, and it really just drove him crazy. He was convinced he was going to find a way to, to stop it. Uh, he did all sorts of research. And I mean, it just absolutely, um, absolutely drove him crazy. And it kind of made me reflect on, um, you know, the things that we can accept and the things that we try to change. Um, I accepted the water hammer. Um, and he didn't, and the, 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 the difference was vast. And I realized this, the squirrel noise, which was nowhere near as loud or as constant and as often, um, started to really aggravate me because I thought I could find a solution to this. Um, and so it was just an interesting reflection I had about, you know, the, the conditioning that we bring to, it's just a sound, and actually a very fairly similar sound to the water hammer in a lot of ways. But once I've committed to stopping it um, is when it really started to annoy me. And that made quite a big turn. Um, helped me, you know, I just would, I just, pra it, was, it was helpful to my practice to just practice listening to these things bouncing around. Um, and... Yeah, I was mostly able to overcome that annoyance. Um, but anyways, I tried a couple more things, I think, over time, and I realized that they had just chewed holes through the spray foam. Um, I don't know why I thought it was chemically and they wouldn't want to chew through it. But as I've, as I've learned from experience and from the pest control person who came recently, um, flying squirrels are incredibly tenacious and stubborn, much more so than, than gray squirrels and uh, other animals. So I finally decided that 
you know, I really needed to do something about this. So I, I blocked off a couple of the holes with a metal mesh, uh, realizing that they had chewed, chewed through. And Mato had come back and we'd talked about it. And I bought a couple of traps, live traps, and um, decided, okay, we'll get trap these things and remove them. But right around this time, I realized that this is the time, this was kind of March, uh, maybe late February, March, realized that this is right around the time that they have children and that this is a bit of a problem as well because if there's babies in the wall and I trap them and remove the mother, uh, then not only am I not cultivating life by letting these 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 uh, babies die in the wall, but I also don't really want put any potential um, stench of these babies dying in the wall. So, um, but I decided I would trap them and maybe I could look underneath them and see if it was a male or a female and I don't know, see what would happen with that. And so I set up a couple of traps and after a few nights I caught one and... Um, I was quite alarmed because I couldn't... So I thought I'd look underneath and there's nothing. I can't tell anything. I looked online and I can't... I can't <laughs> apparently it's very hard to identify the sex of them. Um, although I, I, I finally realized after looking at a couple more pictures that this one was almost certainly a male. Um, yeah, flying squirrel anatomy. 101. <laughs> um, but this night I realized, you know, if this is a, if this is a mother... You know, can I, you know, is it, it just seemed like that extra, you know, and there's, there's children in the wall, which is about the time she would have them. I just was really confused, and I called Mado, and she, she came over, and we kind of talked, and, and decided that it kind of seemed like a male, and, you know, that the potential risk to the Zendo was, was greater than, um, than taking this, this animal and relocating it um, out in the woods. And that I think part of it is, you know, the precepts are against the, the mindless killing. And so, you know, that we've at least, that we're not doing this for, for no reason and that there's, there's some sort of attention to the potential of this. And also made me realize how complicated the, the negative part of the precept is of not killing, is I had no idea if removing this animal would kill things that I'm not even sure existed. Um, so we decided to relocate it. I took it out into the woods, up into Black Mishanon. Um, and it was a snowy, cold night, and it was a bit—it uh, was a bit of a moment for me, a bit of an emotional moment. Letting the small uh, flying squirrels, which are, are more common than I realized, they're just nocturnal, so you don't see them very much, and they don't really—they're not really city dwellers. Um, you know, they're about the size of a chipmunk, and letting the, this thing go and in this freezing, um, snowy night uh, was a bit difficult. Um, I caught another one the next night, did the same thing. And thought, okay, there doesn't seem to be more than two or three. And a couple nights went by, I didn't hear anything. Sure enough, another one. Um, so getting, getting to the end of this, getting to the present moment now of... Um, we finally called a pest control person, came out, and um, he was really helpful and very honest and told us, uh, just gave us some advice and said, you don't really need my help here. Um, so I'm not going to sell you something you don't need. Here's what to do. Um, so in the near future and in probably about a week from now, I'll be setting up a one-way door that they can get out of, but not back into. And we decided to wait a couple extra weeks just to try to ensure that any potential, um, young ones, which I don't seem to hear, um, but any potential young ones can get out as well. They grow up fairly fast. Um, so it's just been a whole saga of interacting with life, 
um, life outside of mine, uh, that even though it's caused several moments where I feel like I haven't done the best to cultivate life, like if I would have acted on this right in the beginning when they, you know, weren't going to have, when there wasn't a potential for them to have babies, then we could have gotten them out before this risk. Um, but it has been an, in an odd way, a cultivation of my own life and, and my own practice. Um, so I think it just speaks to the, the relative, um, the relative nature of these things. I always think back to one of my poets that I study that um, one of his big points is, you know, we just don't know what kind of desires and drives, you know, we never know the consequences of our action. And he cites this movie where a, a warlord ends up taking, um, you know, a bride from the village that he's protecting. It's set in the Middle Ages. And this is very cruel and awful, and it's sort of seen as his, you know, this irrational love. But through this weird series of events, he dies. Uh, the woman is basically cursed at the end, but through a weird series of circumstances, now the village and the people, the, 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 the whoever that were attacking them through a weird series of events have now reconciled. Um, and so even though, you know, we just don't know the ways that our life, even though it ended up causing his death and was a tragedy for the village him kind of stealing this bride ended up being connecting and protecting the village because now these people who were attacking them were reconciled with them and even maybe going to be protectors. Um, so in this weird way, the squirrel has, uh, these, these squirrels have um, led to uh, a deepening of my practice and a deepening, I think, of my, my understanding of the precepts. Um, and maybe we'll continue to, since the saga is, is not over. I heard them this morning. So, um, but at least I'm, I'm not nearly as uh, annoyed by them. I've, I've kind of accepted them, especially once I caught one in a cage and just... You see this poor helpless thing is for what it is. Um, so that's uh, that's my talk for today. So thank you. <laughs>